We all love to get out on the open road, see the country, feel the wind in our hair. But if you have the same car you've been driving for years, you might not feel so great after a car breakdown, unless you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield is America's most trusted vehicle protection company, and for almost 20 years, they've helped Americans protect their out-of-warranty vehicles. From car and trucks to SUVs, a plan through CarShield can protect up to 5,000 parts and systems and save you big dollars on your engine, transmission, entertainment system, and more. It's as easy as going to carshield.com Shapiro. With plans that include unlimited miles, road trips have never been easier. Plus, you get exclusive access to CarShield's concierge service, as well as 24-7 roadside assistance and help with flat or damaged tires, lockouts, and rental car options. Call CarShield to speak with an expert here in the U.S. that can answer all your questions and get you a free quote in minutes. Don't wait another minute. Visit CarShield now before a breakdown happens and you get stuck with an expensive repair bill. Save 20% and get your free quote by going to carshield.com Shapiro now. That's carshield.com Shapiro to save 20% today. Today, the Matt Wall Show in elementary school holds a gay pride march right through the hallways of the school. Plus, the confirmation hearings for Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson have begun, and Democrats have already made it clear that any tough questioning of the judge will automatically be racist and bigoted. Also, like they would never treat uh, a, a judge as harshly as Republicans are treating Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Also, the Daily Wire is now selling men's grooming products. Like so much of what we do here, it's a, it's a joke, but also not a joke at all. And I'll explain. And the mayor of Boston commemorates St. Patrick's Day by making racist jokes about white people. Also, the media tells us about a rise in ADHD among not only children, but adults as well. Are so many of us suffering from a a, a mysterious mental illness, or could there be a more logical explanation for our inability to focus in modern society? We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Did you know that if you're currently on a phone plan with one of the major carriers, you're helping these left-leaning companies donate to pro-choice causes and candidates? Common question I get from my listeners is, what can I do to turn, to help turn the tides in the culture wars? This is what we talk about all the time on this show. Here's a great first step. Defund the abortionists. Don't let them take your money and use it to further policies that you don't believe in. Switch to Charity Mobile today, and they will send 5% of your monthly plan price to any pro-life charity of your choice. Charity Mobile offers the latest 5G phones with no device or service contracts, plus great nationwide coverage. If this sounds like a hassle, I assure you it isn't. Charity Mobile makes switching your phone from your phone carrier uh, very painless. Their live customer service is exceptional. They will guide you through the process, and you can keep your number and your phone in most cases. Or if you want, you can take advantage of my special offer and get a free cell phone with, with free activation. If you want to take advantage of all this, all you have to do is call 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at CharityMobile.com. Mention offer code Walsh to redeem the free cell phone offer. That's CharityMobile.com. Mention offer code Walsh. Join the fight for life uh, and the fight for children by switching to Charity Mobile today. You know, it's a scene that somehow isn't shocking or even mildly surprising anymore. Like so many other things in our culture today, what would have been totally unimaginable just a few years ago is now totally commonplace. Latest example is uh, footage which went viral yesterday of elementary-aged students in a forced gay pride march through the hallways of a school. Now, I say this was a forced march because it's an activity the school came up with. Uh, I'm not sure whether the kids were allowed to decline participation or not, but even if they were, when you're a small child in the kind of school that holds gay pride marches in the hallway, um, even if you're allowed to not participate, you aren't really allowed to not participate. So here's the video, which was uh, proudly posted by an administrator and then quickly removed. Not as proudly, but let's watch this.
All right, so you see all the kids uh, cycling through there. And these are all, these are very young kids as well that we, that we see walking down the hallway. Some of them seem enthusiastic, others not so much, but they're all in the march, in the gay pride march in the hallways of a school, an elementary school. And this happened, by the way, not in like Oregon or California or Vermont or one of those crazy leftist states, but actually Texas. Doss Elementary School in Texas, um, in fact, is holding a whole week of gay celebration. It's their Pride Week this week, they call it, and it includes many activities uh, besides the creepy parade you just saw there. Part of the festivities are um, things that the, the school calls community circles, in which the children will participate in conversations that, um, as the instructions make clear, must remain confidential. Students are told explicitly that, quote, what we say in this room stays in this room, and, quote, remember to keep what happened in the circle confidential. And um, to make it even creepier, they, you know, capital T, capital C for the circle. It's the circle. Now, if the phrase, remember to keep what happened in the circle confidential, sounds like something you'd be told at a cult meeting, and if what we say in this room stays in this room sounds like something that a threat, sounds like maybe like a threat from a pedophile abuser, then you're starting to understand what our public school system is and what it's all about. The Washington Examiner did reach out to Doss Elementary to ask about these secret circles, and uh, this is what they were told. Quote, a spokesperson for the Austin Independent School District told the Washington Examiner, the, school, the circles were confidential in the sense that makes students feel trusted and respected for their privacy when sharing in the conversations, and that it should not be misconstrued to mean, don't tell your parents. Circles are part of social-emotional learning and are used for a variety of speaking topics, such as test anxiety, world events, internal conflict resolution, social justice, uh, the spokesperson said. And the conversation template allows for a process and gives everyone an option, an optional opportunity to speak. Everyone, not just parents, has access to the materials ahead of time. Every parent has the right to opt out of these activities. Oh, they give you the old opt-out. Like, once again, that's, that's like opting out of the gay pride march when you're, you know, a seven-year-old at one of these schools. Yeah, you could, you could technically opt out, but there's a lot of social ostracization that comes with that. And also, they're making it clear implicitly and probably explicitly that if you're not participating in all this kind of stuff, then uh, you're a bigot. So now this would, what you just heard there, would, would already be a dubious excuse, even if you were predisposed to trust what schools tell you. But if you've been paying attention at all, you do not trust the schools at all. And so the assurances they give about their secret gay pride circle meetings will mean nothing to you at all. And it shouldn't mean anything to you because the schools are, just as they appear and so often act, abusive cult indoctrination centers. They are what you might call alternative reality generators. Now, I've said before that the news media are, uh, I would dub them, reality curators. So they take little bits of what's happening in the world. They cut out the parts they don't want you to see. And they, and oftentimes they will ban you from talking about those things they don't want you to see, like what happened with the New York Post and Hunter Biden's laptop. And then all the parts they want you to see, they assemble them into the picture that they, they want to present to you. Um, they operate according to a kind of ideologically driven algorithm. And when you're listening to the news media, that's really what you're, what you're getting, that you're getting an algorithm. The actual algorithms on social media are also ideologically driven, of course, in order to skew your perception of the world and reality itself. The schools, though, because they get the kids at such a young age and have them for so long with hours every day of uninterrupted indoctrination opportunities, they go even deeper. They create an entire alternate reality 
And after years of that, you end up with the sorts of college kids that I encounter, many of us have seen, protesting and so on, who seem like, uh, you know, they're from some sort of uh, other dimension, really. They, they seem like beings from another dimension. They live in a world that has almost no connection to the real world. That's why the left gets away with propaganda campaigns that are so blatantly false as to at first seem almost farcical. For example, yesterday, Kim Mangione, who's a uh, failed politician in California, tweeted a picture of a billboard with the word gay on it. And that's all it says. It just says gay. And she captioned the, the, the tweet, how many of these billboards do you want me to put up uh, in Florida? And it's just, you know, just, just says gay. It's all it says. This is obviously supposed to be in protest of the so-called don't say gay bill. Now, my suggestion is that she put up one billboard for every time the word gay appears in the legislation itself, which of course means she's not going to be putting up any billboards at all uh, because the, the word is not in the, the legislation. But the fact that the word doesn't appear in the legislation itself and that the don't say gay bill is a total fabrication of the left doesn't matter. Um, their strategy is very simple. They don't like the Florida parental rights bill, but they can't argue against it without sounding like a bunch of perverted freaks. So instead, they completely invent a different bill out of thin air and argue against that instead. They get away with it. You know, more than get away with it. In fact, they often win with this exact strategy because they run all the institutions and because they keep society supplied with a never-ending stream of people whose minds and souls exist in a fictional universe, a universe the left creates. Now, the good news, I guess, in a way, is that the people in charge of this indoctrination are very stupid. Um, as the left increasingly prioritizes ideological conformity over anything else, also the quality of what they produce has gone down, and the quality of the people who are in charge of the indoctrination has gone down. This is why most Hollywood movies these days are so terrible. Um, Hollywood, of course, has been liberal for a long time, but it used to, you know, it used to hire the most talented people to tell compelling stories. And the stories would often happen to have a liberal bent because that was the worldview of the people telling the stories. Now they don't hire the most talented people. Their first, second, and third priority is to fill their diversity quotas and make films and shows that advertise their leftist purity. This means that what they make is more intensely ideological than it's ever been, but also that the quality is worse than it's ever been. The bright side of that is that the indoctrination is less effective the more that the indoctrination is the primary goal. Christian movies on the other end of the spectrum have long had this exact same problem. Now, their message is actually good, so that's the key difference, and it's an important difference. But all the films you know, in the Christian movie industry care about is the message. They don't care about telling good stories or telling them well or having a good script, good acting. It's like they consider all of that to be secondary. Um, and so they are far less effective at getting their message across because the movies are bad. Now, we see something like this in the school too, where many of the people teaching our kids um, are indoctrinators and groomers, of course, and also extremely stupid. Case in point, two middle school counselors in Oregon uh, were mad this week that they couldn't fly their gay pride and BLM flags in school. So they recorded this TikTok video in their counseling office in, uh, in protest. Watch. Hey, 
Okay, now you have to appreciate these two ladies flipping off the camera in front of a flag that says, be kind to all. Uh, you also have to appreciate the caption on the video, which misspells the word aloud. And somehow that manages to be, you know, the most outrageous aspect of that video there. These are very dumb people with no discernible skills or abilities and double-digit IQs at best. Um, in many such cases in the school system. But they don't need to be effective indoctrinators, really. Because unlike Hollywood and media and all the other institutions who are less effective at indoctrination when their quality goes down, in this case, the school system, they have your kids for so many years and so many hours in a day that it becomes a sort of war of attrition with your child's soul, with your child's mind. They just keep pushing until they wear their victims down and have them firmly in their clutches. But there is a kind of easy solution, if not easy, then at least simple, which is get your kids out of the system and keep them out. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, with the ever-increasing numbers of car makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Um, you have, but you don't need to. This is the good news because you have computers at home with access to rockauto.com. You probably carry one around in your pocket all the time. All you got to do is pull it out. Go to rockauto.com. Why should you choose to spend 30%, 50%, 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or new car dealership? No example. Uh, no reason to do that. For example, a uh, Delphi FG1456 fuel pump assembly for a 2005-2010 Honda Odyssey is normally $353 at Advance, which is a big chain store, but it's $216 at rockauto.com. And I know exactly what I just read. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's from your for your classic or daily driver, you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. See all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. And the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car, truck, right? Walsh in there. How did you hear about us, box? So they know that we sent you. Um, all right. I have to talk about this at the top. I, you know, I'm, I'm really a kind of a loss here. I feel betrayed, heartbroken, confused. Yesterday, I'm at work in my office. You know, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm at work. I'm doing important work. You know trying to figure out what I'm going to talk about on my podcast. Very important work. And I get a text from my wife and it says, this is what it says. This is my wife. She says, left my shopping cart in the parking lot. Just like that. There's no other, nothing, this, just that. She decided to send that to me. And I text her back and I said, uh, why? What possible excuse could you have? You know how important this issue is to me. And her response, LOL. This is actually a form of just like psychological terrorism committed by my wife against me callously for no reason other than her own amusement, I guess. And when I talked to her about it later, you know, more extensively, because it's like, this is the kind of thing, okay, we're going to talk about this when I get home. We're having a conversation about this. And, and then she, she actually tried to hit me with the, um, I mean, she didn't try to physically hit me. She tried to hit me with the excuse that she, you know, she had uh, our daughter, two-year-old with her, Emma, and, you know, the two-year-old was, was having a meltdown. And so she wasn't, don't get, this is me you're talking to. You don't think I've heard that excuse before? 
The child's crying, and so you can't walk 20 feet and put the cart away. This is what I have to deal with every day. Um, all right, let's, uh, we'll go here. The, the first day of the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings for Kentonji Brown-Jackson started yesterday, and, and right out of the gate yesterday, um, Democrats, of course, laid down the racism gauntlet, as you'd expect them to do, and made it very clear that, that any difficult questioning that may follow by Republicans is racist. And keep something in mind about, about Democrats, of course. Now, they said that Justice Kavanaugh was the ringleader of a gang of serial rapists. They said that Amy Coney Barrett was the, you know, a member of a, of a Handmaid's Tale secret cult. Um, otherwise known as just, she was just Catholic. She's in the Catholic Church. So, but, but, but they, they really feel strongly that you should treat um, Supreme Court nominees with respect and dignity. I want to be very clear about that. So Cory Cory Booker came out of the gate with this and um, made sure to, to highlight just how he took a sort of a more passively pa- passive aggressive approach, rather than explicitly saying if you criticize her you're racist, which I'm sure he will say and probably has already said. But here he decided to you know ju- just highlight how historic and wonderful all of this is and. How could anyone do anything but squeal with delight at the very thought of Kentanji Brown-Jackson on the Supreme Court? Let's listen. When you were in my office, uh, you were focused on the hearings and a lot of the substance and had such great questions. I could not stop being just joyous that you were sitting in my office and I couldn't stop bringing up to you the historical nature of this. Forgive me, I grew up in a small black church where I was taught uh, to make a joyous noise unto the Lord. And this is not a normal day for America. We have never had this moment before. And I just want to talk about uh, the joy. Well, Cory Booker uh, makes joyous noises. I, I don't really want to know what Booker's joyous noises sound like. That's something he should keep to himself in his private life. But, you know, the, the point is very clear, not very subtle at all, that this is a, what a, what a wonderful historic moment. Um, yeah, I mean, we've had black Supreme Court justices before, but uh, but they don't really count, especially, I mean, Clarence Thomas, he, he, he doesn't count, obviously. Uh, so this is what what can it, all we should be doing is, is Corey, according to Cory Brooker, we should all just be singing songs of praise. That's what the that's what the Supreme Court confirmation hearing should consist of is everybody locking arms together, holding hands and singing joyously to the Lord before Kentanji Brown Jackson. Um, now, Maisie Hirono was a little bit more direct with the racism blackmail. Let's listen to what she had to say. Some of my Republican colleagues and public figures have attempted to undermine your qualifications through their pejorative use of the term affirmative action. And they have implied okay, pause it there for a second. you were. No, it's not Republicans. It's not Republicans who uh, who's said that Kentonji Brown Jackson was selected, at least in part, because of her skin color and her gender. Republicans didn't say that. That was, that was Joe Biden who said that. That was Joe Biden who announced that to begin with, that he, he is already ahead of time before he ever said Kentaji Brown-Jackson's name. I mean, like a year before or more than a year before he ever even said her name. He said, I've whittled it all down. I'm excluding everybody who is not a black woman. They're the only ones I'm going to consider. And then there's the other part of that, which, which he didn't say, which is that I'm only considering leftist Black women. So it's a it's a 
a, a whittled down, much more limited pool of people. And all we really know is that Kentanji Brown Jackson was allegedly the most qualified one in that group. Was she the most qualified one among all potential candidates? Well, we have no idea because Joe Biden, according to himself, did not consider any of the other ones. So just to clarify that, but let's keep listening to Maisie Hirono for some reason. You're solely nominated due to your race and not for other factors. Apparently, some have even claimed that you need to show your LSAT scores to determine whether you are a top legal mind. This is incredibly offensive and condescending. Let me be clear. Your nomination is about, not about filling a quota. It is about time. It's about time that we have a highly qualified, highly accomplished black woman on the Supreme Court. It's about time our highest court better reflects the country it serves. It's about time that black women and girls across the country can finally see themselves who look like them sitting on the highest court, making decisions that will impact their lives. So Maisie Rona, of course, has set it up along with all the other Democrats. And it was all it was all very similar to that. All right. I also can't think of an excuse for this as we move up to Boston, where Mayor Michelle Wu, she may remember her. She was last seen sort of awkwardly sitting there silently while she got um, insulted relentlessly on Instagram Live, which was a great, a great, a great video. This one, not as good. She gave a speech at the um, annual Boston St. Patrick's Day breakfast where she said this, listen. Over 100 days, we have connected unhoused residents at Mass and Cass to housing, treatment, and services. We've launched three free bus lines. We've taken some big, bold actions, but I won't lie. This past winter was pretty intense. Trial by snow, trial by fire, fighters union. I'm getting used to dealing with problems that are expensive, disruptive, and white. I'm talking about snowflakes, snowflakes. I mean, snowstorm snowflakes. Oh, hilarious. She's dealing with problems that are expensive, disruptive, and white, which is uh, a joke she decided to tell, by the way, at at a St. Patrick's Day event. And the excuse that's being given on her behalf is that uh, apparently at this event, the tradition is that the mayor gets up there and gives a funny speech and tells a bunch of jokes. Okay, fine. So... She's telling a joke. Now, now all of a sudden, people on the left are saying, hey, calm down. It's just a joke. Now, when, when an actual stand-up comedian at a stand-up special tells jokes, that's, uh, that, that's, that's Armageddon. That's, an, that's the apocalypse. That's a human rights abuse. We got to have marches in the street and boycotts. You know, Dave Chappelle's an actual stand-up comedian. It's his job to tell jokes. And he does a stand-up special where he tells jokes, and that's a problem. You can't do that. Yeah, we're going to make excuses for a politician on St. Patrick's Day who decides to make a joke that all of her problems are expensive, disruptive, and white. Now, I don't need to point this out, but I will, because that's pretty much the entire show is me pointing out things I shouldn't need to point out. Um, If this was a mayor of a city who was commemorating Black History Month, by making a hilarious joke about how most of his problems are expensive, disruptive, and black. You know, I don't think all the, the, the people that are having such good humor about it would, would feel that way. About it. There would be riots in the streets. 
it would be considered uh, a historic catastrophe. They would build, I mean, they would, co- they would literally commemorate the day that it happened. If that happened today, March 22nd, that a mayor got up there and said, <laughs> you know, all my problems are disruptive, di- expensive, disruptive, and black. I'm not talking about black people. I'm talking about uh, the pavement. There's a lot of potholes. <laughs> Don't you get it? If that were to happen, and it March 22nd, March 22nd would be a day. They, they would have, we would have anniversaries of it. Next March 22nd, they would talk about the, where they were when they heard that joke and what, what terrible damage it did to them, the trauma that they've suffered. I mean, we would never hear the end of it. They would build monuments to commemorate the tragedy where people could go and weep over the joke that was told. And yet, what, what we are supposed to get accustomed to, and many of us are accustomed to, is just that, you know, it's different. Mayor Wu is a non-white person, and she's making jokes about white people. And so it's just different. She's allowed to do that. That's what we're supposed to accept that. I, I don't. I think we should not accept it. Now, as I've said before, we don't want to call this a double standard, really, because it's actually... It's actually not. Um, there, there, is, there is, in fact, one standard. The standard is, from, from the left, like, we can do things that you can't do. Non-white people can do things that white, that, uh, white people cannot do. That's, that's the standard. But it's a twisted, perverse standard. And we should never tire of criticizing of it. And yes, we should... Uh, react with anger to stuff like this. We should be outraged about it. Yeah. Because the only other option is just to move on from it and say, okay, fine, you can do that. Like, I know you're doing something that a white person could never get away with, but all right, you can just do it. Why should we go along with that? That's what we're, it's like as, as, as white people, you're just supposed to sort of accept that, okay, well, you can come and spit in my face. All right. I don't like it, but uh, all right. Why should we accept that? No, I'm not, not going to have you spit in my face, especially it's like St. Patrick's Day to make it all the worse. So this is your way, rather than talking about how you appreciate Irish culture, you're going to tell us that your, your problems are all white? You disgusting, drooling, ugly bigot. You racist scumbag. That should be the response to this person. It is because that's exactly what it would be in the reverse, but a lot, a lot more harsh. We all know. I mean, they would, they would, they would I mean, the person would be, the mayor would be, would be kicked out of office, probably arrested for a hate crime. And I'm not exaggerating. But you can't even, you can't conceive, you can't even conceive of actually fully of what the reaction would be because it, because, because it is literally inconceivable that a politician would ever make a joke like that about any race of people other than white. And is that a reality that we want to accept? That there is one race of people, that the most powerful people in our society, politicians who are running cities and running the country, are allowed to joke about and insult? Do we really want to accept that? Because that doesn't go anywhere good. When there's one group of people that we determine by race who you're allowed to disrespect, but nobody else. Now, you want to open up the floodgates and say that, yeah, jokes are jokes. You can make jokes about any race you want. And, uh, hey, you know, that's fine. If that's the rule, I'm totally on board for that. 
but I'm not on board for the rule that you're that you're allowed to to, to do this to white people, but nobody else. Not on board for that. All right. Uh, what else have we got? From the Post Millennial, it says, it's been reported that staff from an unnamed UK hospital told local police last year that a sexual assault they were investigating could not have happened because patients are placed on single-sex wards per the guidelines of the National Health Service. The alleged attacker was a, attacker was a biological male who self-identifies as a woman, was therefore counted to be of the same sex as the woman who the, whom the biological male is alleged to have raped. Quote, they forgot that there was CCTV nurses and observers, noted Baroness Nicholson um, during a parliamentary debate in the House of Lords on the issue of the same-sex wards, which are the standard in the area. Um, staff told police a year ago that there were no males present on the ward at the time of the attack, and as the result, the rape could not have occurred. But it turns out that there was a male. So uh, the alleged rape of a woman by a male, and it was covered up. And the police were told, oh, there's, a, oh there's, no, there's no males here. There's no men. Couldn't have happened. Now, what you should know is, okay, this is happening in same-sex wards at hospitals in the UK. Um, and I'm sure this is not the first such occurrence. It's also happening. I mean, this is very common in women's prisons. Very common. Quite sure of that. We, we hear, you hear stories. Okay, we, we have heard we, we have heard of some specific cases of it happening, um, but this is mostly a silent epidemic because um, at least, you know, in a hospital, you're not there against your will most of the time. Um, and so women who fall victim are fortunately going to be able to speak out, you know, and are going to be able to call attention to what happened to them and other people at the hospital, which is exactly what happened here. Now, in a women's prison, though, the women are there, they can't leave, and so they have no really they have no real way of, of getting the word out about what happened to them. And they're 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 you know in an environment where they could face severe consequences for speaking out if the people running the prison don't want them to. Um, so this is a mostly silent epidemic in women's prisons. And the reason why, the reason I know, the reason I'm, I can guarantee that this is happening a lot in women's prisons is because, one, because of the, of the cases that we've heard. And, and the thing is, you know, anytime you hear cases of something like this, if there's, a, if there's a, a problem of sexual abuse inside an institution and you hear some of the cases, you already know, but you're not going to hear about every case. And so how, however, however many you heard about, you can multiply that by five at least. But then in a prison... I don't know, multiply it by 10, by 20, given how difficult it is for the victims to um, reveal what's happening to them. And the other way that I know that it's happening is that it's is that I, I know, it's a fact, that in many states in this country, they are putting male, violent male offenders, including sex offenders, in cells with women. And it is just a guarantee that you're going to have a mass epidemic of women getting raped if you do that. It's a guarantee. It's not a maybe. It's a guarantee. Um, so this is, whether or not the, the lid is ever really blown off and we, we find out you know, the full extent of the epidemic, I don't know. But it is happening. Also, this on the transition. I just want to play this a, a, a little bit of this. Probably not the whole thing. But a rapper named, uh, who is this, Lil Boozy? who 
I'm sure he's a great musician, but he was being interviewed um, on a show, and he was asked about the uh, issue of of men playing women's sports. And let's listen to what a little bit of a, what this this guy had to say. I, I personally don't think that uh, it's fair for it's not a trans fair. in a minute for a male for years. a male trans athlete to to compete in women's sports because in men women's are just sports, born. bro. Yeah. Let them agree. women have their glory, man. Yeah. We let that go down in five, ten years. They're going to have kids raising their churn to be big, strong motherfuckers. Then turn into women and take over the sport and get million dollar contracts. Watch. Well, I mean, if you think about it, women's sports really. Think think money. Motherfuckers think money. <laughs> yeah. Go get a a seven five. A seven five and turn into a woman, and put him on the NCAA team, and I'm dunking like Shaq. Y'all mean it's this world? I ain't happy in it. Yeah. I'm just in it. No, I feel like that because you know, at, at the end of the day, women's sports in general, I feel, have always had an uphill battle compared compared to the male sports. You women know, don't get paid like me. Uh, I kind of wish exactly. I could play the entire clip because it's great, but I can't really justify it. It's two and a half minutes long, but you can go on, online and find it. I, th- look, he, he, this little boozy, if I may say, um, as as is the case on so many other issues, I'm sure, but. But on this, he is making more sense than than almost any college professor that's spoken out. People in media, you know, um, he's making more sense than any of them. When it, when it comes to the issue of the differences between men and women, and should men participate in little sports in, in women's sports, I I would I would go to Lil Boozy as an authority before I'd go to any like gender studies professor or anything. I mean, in a second, I would go to him. Because this is just this is just basic common sense, and this is where it gives you a little bit of a little glimmer of of hope, perhaps, that with the women's sports issue in particular, and this is one of the reasons why I have focused on it so much, even though, as I've said a million times, it, it is it's just one battlefield, it's one area, like the actual wars for truth and reality itself. And this is just one battlefield in that fight, but it's an important battlefield because it can be kind of a in a an awakening moment for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people kind of live their lives and they're either they're not aware of what's happening out there. They don't think sort of uh, they're, not, they're not they're not thinking much in the abstract about about gender ideology and what it could mean. Um, they're just kind of living their lives, and then. When this stuff kind of starts manifesting itself in the real world and impacting people's real lives, that's when it becomes an awakening moment for a lot of just regular sort of common sense people. And so was this, you know, Leah Thomas competing against the women in the NCAA Women's Swimming Championship, was this a bridge too far? You know, is the left getting too greedy I mean, we know that they're greedy, and they're never satisfied, and they're always they're always trying to surge forward. That's why we call them progressive. They're always progressing, but they progress like a like a a tumor progresses. Okay, um, and we know that they're always doing that. But did they go too far too fast? Because usually they want to lay the groundwork, indoctrinate people. That's what we talked about at the beginning. 
especially in the school system, but the media, I mean, all these institutions, indoctrinating people, getting, getting them ready for the next step in the progression. Uh, did they overshoot the target here? Uh, get the cart in front of the horse, whatever metaphor you want to use. I don't know. I mean, even if they did, it doesn't mean that we can just declare victory. Look at that. We won this battle. But, but uh, it could have been a misstep, miscalculation. And it's awakened just normal common sense people to say, well, this doesn't make any sense. All right. Um, next. Well, I have to, of course, mention this. We today at The Daily Wire unveiled um, our new product, which we're now getting into the men's grooming game with Jeremy's razors. Uh, of course, the God King Jeremy Boring with his own razor line. Now, I, I will say, I'm uh, n- I, normally I would say that I'm, I'm ethically, philosophically opposed to shaving in general, as is clear from my appearance. Um, but even I will say that these are high-quality razors, which we'll get into the backstory of this, but some of that comes out in the, in the, uh, the ad that we put together for this. Um, high-quality razors with, a, with an ad that reflects the quality of the razors. Let's, let's play that for you now. Do you remember when there were two genders and only one and a half of them had to shave their mustaches? I'm Jeremy Boring, CEO and God King of The Daily Wire. Harry's razors used to advertise on our shows. They're a great product, and we were happy to do it. That's before some peon who works for me went and said that boys are boys and girls are girls. And that was just too much for Harry's. And they dropped their ads from our network because of what they called values misalignment. Harry's Razors doesn't want your business. I do. Then buy my new razor instead. Behold, Jeremy's Razors. Yes, they're real. Yes, they're fabulous. Our country's in trouble. Conservatives are being canceled by Hollywood, the media, universities, and now Harry's Razors. Stop giving your money to woke corporations who don't think you deserve their product. Give it to me instead. Head over to IHateHarrys.com and pre-order your Founders Series razor and shaving cream set today. Unless you're the kind of man who teaches his daughter to shave her beard. Yeah, I have to say, um, uh, it's a great ad. I'm, I am very upset that we had a flamethrower here at the office, apparently, and I was not given a chance to play with it at all. But I guess, you know, safety concerns. Um, I love the whole ad. I, I thought my, my favorite part was if I had, and I'm, and I'm just... Not playing favorites at all, not not biased at all, but um, we did get a glimpse of the best-selling, most acclaimed LGBT children's book of all time, which you can get at Johnny, johnnythewalrus.com. So that was a great moment as well. Um, but this is, we have to keep in mind, as it says in the ad, Harry's, you know, we had been advertising with them. They decided to pull all their ads not even because there was some coordinated campaign where they were getting all kinds of pressure from all over the place, but as is so often the case, it's a small minority of people. And in this case, now we've seen small minorities um, imposing their will on major corporations. We've seen that at Disney. We're seeing it right now at Disney. We've seen it at Netflix. We've seen it in many places. In this case, it was one anonymous Twitter account with two followers who nobody is paying attention to, nobody cares, and all they did was just send a tweet out to Harry's saying, uh, "Did you know Michael Knowles thinks that uh, you know men are men and women are women?" That's that's all that that Knowles really said. And just because of that, Harry said, "Well, okay, we'll pull all our advertisements. This is a profitable arrangement for for Harry's." And just because of that one person, that you want to talk about privilege—that's the privilege you have. That is the ideological, so much of the privilege in this country is ideologically defined. And that's the privilege you have as a leftist. 
Conservatives don't have that kind of privilege because the left runs all the institutions and they make all the products. And that's why, you know, the razors here, it's, it's a, like so much of what we do. It's a, it's a joke because it's funny and it's a troll. And we, um, we put a lot of effort into very elaborate trolling at this company, which is one of the reasons why I like working here. And I appreciate it as a, as a troll, you know, at, at heart myself. But it's also, along with being a joke, it's also a very, it's also a very serious thing, which is that, you know, when this happens, we've gotten used to this with companies where they, they announce. That's what Harry's did. It wasn't just that they pulled the ads. They announced that uh, they don't want anything to do with us. We're bigots. We're this and that. We're, we, we have inexcusable values, which is an attack not just on us, but obviously on all of everybody in the audience. Because what they're implicitly saying is, well, what all you people, I mean, why, why, do you, why are you still watching and listening to all this bigoted material with these inexcusable, you must have the inexcusable values too. So we had these companies that they come out and, and announce, like, we don't want your business. We hate you. We, we oppose everything that you stand for on a real fundamental level too. And usually what happens is they, companies do this, and then we on the right, we complain about it, and we whine about it, and we talk about cancel culture, and then maybe we organize a boycott. Most of the time we don't even do that. But even if we do the boycott, it, it lasts for like a week if it makes it that long, and it has no effect at all, doesn't matter. The company doesn't feel the pain at all. And then we just go back to normal. We go back to using those products. And part of the reason that happens is because, you know, in a way, it's like you almost don't, don't have a choice with some of this stuff. You, you, you have to buy things. You need razors. You need, you know, you need basic things like that. Uh, unless you're going to go shave with a butcher's knife or something. You need, you need some kind of grooming product if you, are, if you are going to shave at all, which I wouldn't recommend, but if you do. So partly out of necessity, we go back and we start using these products again which is why at The Daily Wire, we've decided, well, let's, let's make our own products, just like we're making our own entertainment. Rather than complaining that entertainment is increasingly ideologically biased in the extreme, we'll make our own. You know, and if you want to uh, make a statement, that's the way that you do it. And if you want to, more than making a statement, actually have a chance at winning, winning the culture war, that's how you do it. We'll just do it ourselves. Make our own products. Make our own things. And that's what we're doing. Let's get now to the comment section. Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang. Erica says, Matt, I've always wondered why you refer to transgender people by their chosen name and not their given name. I feel like it's confusing to call a man Leah or Caitlin, and I'm just wondering why you respect the chosen names. I personally refer to Bruce Jenner and Will Thomas as such, but I do frequently wonder what the right thing to do in that situation is, well, um, the answer is simply because names are arbitrary and you can legally be whatever name you want to be. So it's got nothing to do with respect. Um, a name is not a biological reality. Lots of people have names that I think are dumb, but they're still their name. So if Will Thomas, and I don't know if he did or not, but I, I, I don't know that he didn't do it. If Will Thomas legally changes his name to Leah, then that's his name. It doesn't make sense for me to say, oh, no, your name is really Will. It doesn't make any more sense than for someone comes along and says, my name is Fred. And I say, I don't like that name. Your, your name is really, you know, Bill. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense. It's not about being disrespectful. It's just about not making any sense. Because you can actually have whatever name you want, even if it's a really stupid name. You can still do that. Um, 
because names again are not biological realities. They are, they are in fact human constructs. And names can also change. I mean, there was a time when men were named Ashley, and now no men are. It's just like it can change over time. Um, now, so if a man says that I, I'm going to change my name and make it Leah, well, I think that's dumb because that is a girl's name. But you you can have that name if you want. I can't tell you that you, that's not your name. But you're still a man. Okay, so that's the part that doesn't change, and that's the point. And this is an, an important distinction, I think, because your sex is not like your name at all. And I don't want to compare the two. I think you do the transgender agenda actually a favor by equating the two. They are not the same. Um, because your sex, unlike your name, is not something you can choose. You can choose a name for yourself legally. You can't do that with your sex. Names are also assigned. You want to talk about something that's assigned at birth? Your name is assigned at birth. And you can actually, as you get older, look and say to yourself, I don't really like the name that I was assigned. I'll pick a new one. And you can do that. Your sex, though, is not assigned at birth. It is observed. It's noted by the doctor. And that's just your sex. You can never change it. Um, so it's not because I'm worried about respecting Thomas or whatever. I don't respect him at all. Um, it's because I, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm being as clear as possible. All right. Ian Byrne says, can the ally ship be, sent, be the first ship sent by Elon to Mars? I'm on board with that plan. Ship them all off there. Uh, Redemption Happens says, here again, Matt, being clueless as to the effects of execution on prison staff, you want to turn those officers into killers and you cluelessly omit the fact that a lot of these guys have guilt and shame because many of them are even saying the drug laws are BS and now you want to add PTSD on top of that. The average life expectancy for corrections officer is only 55 for a reason genius. Well, actually, disregarding your condescending tone there, I think that um, the psychological effect of the people administering capital punishment is, in fact, the best argument against capital punishment. It's not used very often. I mean, usually when people are arguing against capital punishment, they're going with different lines of argument. But I think that this is the most compelling one. Um, and for a long time, I was anti-capital punishment for this very reason. This was the thing that I couldn't quite get over, is that if you're having capital punishment, you are asking, requiring somebody to do this, which is to kill, an, uh, kill a defenseless person. And the convict, after they've been convicted, I mean, they are defense. They're not innocent, but they are defenseless. You're, you're, not, you're not killing them directly in self-defense. They're not threatening to kill you when you kill them. Um, so the question is, as a civilized society, can we ask people to do that? And I've ultimately come down to the answer of, yes, we can. I think it's a necessity. This is something that we need in society, and so we need people to do it. Now, we don't, we don't force anyone to do it. It's not like we're choosing people at random and saying, you're going to be the uh, death chamber executioners. But if you get into this line of work, then this is your job, and it is uh, you're doing something noble. You're doing something that th this is justice. You're administering justice. Is there a psychological effect? For, sh for sure. Um, a, uh, a quite significant one. But it's still something that needs to be done. So although I understand the argument, I don't think it, I don't think it overcomes the need for justice in society and the fact that there are things people can do that are so heinous, so egregious, so outside the bounds of anything that can be considered uh, acceptable human behavior that we have no choice as a society but to inflict upon them the ultimate punishment. 
Um, and also, by the way, we were talking about firing squad. The firing squad actually addresses some of the problem you're talking about. I mean, if you strap, some, strap somebody down to a gurney or put them in an electric chair, somebody still needs to flip the switch or, or administer the needle. With a firing squad, you know, you have multiple people firing and some of them have blanks and that way no, none of them really know exactly who's the one who, who fired the, uh, the fatal shot. So I actually think the firing squad is a, an even better uh, method for this exact reason. Um, let's see. Lee says, I can't believe I'm still hearing conservatives call for outlawing marriage, gay marriage in 2022. Oh yeah, the old current year thing. First of all, the date on the calendar has no bearing on fundamental principles. Second, I'm not arguing for outlawing gay marriage. I'm arguing that gay marriage is a contradiction in terms, like it can't exist because marriage is a certain thing with a certain function and a certain definition. That's the argument. Um, that's, that's been the argument all along in defense of what we now call so-called traditional marriage. But I would say that saying traditional marriage is like, it's like saying biological sex or your biological male. You don't need the biological because there's only one kind of male, which is biological male. And there's only one kind of actual marriage, which is what we now call the traditional marriage. Because marriage, again, is a certain thing. It's an institution with a certain purpose and it serves a certain function. And the thing is, the people who came along and said, no, marriage is not that, you know, they, they, the activists said, oh, no, 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 marriage is not that. It doesn't serve the fundamental purpose of being the foundation for the nuclear family. It's not that. You're wrong about that. Uh, it's what everyone thought throughout all of history, basically. But you're wrong about that. And they said that, but they never supplied a new definition. They never said, okay, well, if marriage isn't that, then what is it? Why do we have it? You might not have liked the answer before, but at least there was an answer. Now there's no answer. It's, it's yet another thing that the left comes along um, and says, takes, a, takes a, a word or a foundational concept for human society and says, oh no, we're changing this. But when they change it, they just remove the meaning from it and do not even supply a new meaning. Now it's just, it's just nothing. Marriage is like nothing now. Um, and finally, it says, uh, Matt, I can't understand why you would oppose surrogacy for everyone. So people who can't have kids are just out of luck. Well, you know, I explain why. Um, first of all, if a man and woman are married and can't have kids, there's, there's always adoption. You know, if, if a man and woman can't have kids, I think um, still pursuing parenthood is a, is a very good thing to do. And uh, there are lots of children that need to be adopted. So, no, they aren't out of luck, as you say. But also another important point, important point here is that nobody has a right to a kid. Nobody has a fundamental right to be a parent. Um, you have parental rights, but you don't have a right to become a parent in the first place. The world doesn't owe you that, is what I'm saying. And the problem with surrogacy is that you're commodifying the female body and human life itself. I mean, you're literally renting out a womb and, and you're buying eggs and... Uh, treating all these things like commodities. And um, I think the female body and human life should be treated with more dignity than that. You know, at the Daily Wire, we've started our own publishing wing called DW Books. Um, I had the honor to be the first book that we published with Johnny the Walrus, uh, but we're proud to publish many more. And these are books that actively fight the left's monopoly on storytelling, like Fiery But Mostly Peaceful, The 2020 Riots and the Gaslighting of America by Julio Rosas, who pulls back the curtain on the Black Lives Matter riots that broke out across the country in the aftermath of George Floyd's death 
Rosas, who was uh, reporting from the ground, gives his firsthand experience and exposes the media's attempts to convince Americans that the fatal and destructive riots were peaceful. The book is available for pre-order on Amazon or anywhere you buy books online. So go pre-order your copy today. Also, you know, our product team is currently searching for a director of customer experience to lead our audience experience teams in Nashville. This person will work closely with our vice president of operations to strategize and implement innovative ways of optimizing our audience experience strategy to achieve business goals, strengthen our brand, and provide optimal value to the Daily Wire community, especially our subscriber base. (laughs) What does any of that mean? If that made sense to you, then you might be a candidate for this job. This is a unique opportunity for a senior level customer service professional with a passion and skill for leadership and entrepreneurial spirit and deep operational knowledge and experience in all aspects of online community management, customer experience and event attendance experiences to apply for this opportunity and to view a full list of our current openings at Daily Wire, visit dailywire.com slash careers. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Well, ADHD has been back in the news, first with a Salon article documenting how a stark rise in ADHD diagnoses seemed to mysteriously coincide with millions of kids being locked inside for a year and forced to take classes on Zoom. This is something I've been you know, following for a while and we've talked about before. Meanwhile, the Today Show uh, ran a piece about the rise of ADHD in women, especially mothers. So ADHD is all over the place, it seems. It's also become a, a profitable business, to put it mildly. Billions and billions of dollars have been made and will be made on it. Some companies, as the New York Post reported just last week, have gotten more creative in their marketing of ADHD drugs with uh, Ritalin ads now appearing on places like TikTok. Now, we know that the psychiatric industry and big pharma have set out to catalog and medicalize virtually every human behavior, emotion, inclination, and personality trait. Soon, nobody in America will be considered normal. You wonder where the drug companies and psychiatrists get their idea of normal behavior and normal brains and normal emotions, considering they so rarely come across a behavior, brain, or emotion they consider normal. We'll pick that thread back up in a minute, but first let's acknowledge that nowhere is this tendency to medicalize the human condition more apparent or more dangerous than with children. There's been an an astounding rise in ADHD diagnoses stretching back not just through COVID, but for decades before that. Somewhere around 10% of all children in the country have been labeled with this alleged disorder before the lockdown. And the labels being stuck on kids at earlier and earlier ages. We're now told that kids as young as two years old can be diagnosed ADHD. A third of kids with ADHD are diagnosed before the age of six. Doctors will assure parents that the drugs are safe and will cause no long-term damage to their children. But at best, we don't actually really know whether that's fully true or not. There's plenty of reason to believe that the drugs could be affecting your child's brain for years to come. And on what basis have we taken this incredible step as a society to drug into oblivion what used to be considered common childhood characteristics? After all, any experienced parent will recognize the list of ADHD symptoms as the most normal characteristics in the world. Those symptoms, if you look it up, um, include in constant motion, squirms and fidgets, makes careless mistakes, often loses things, does not seem to listen, easily distracted, does not finish tasks. Now, frankly, I would be more concerned about a child who doesn't exhibit these symptoms. So, symptoms, quote-unquote. So, how can we know when normal childhood behaviors may be a manifestation of mental illness? It's quite easy to know when your liver, kidney, or heart are malfunctioning. But with ADHD and so many other mental illnesses, pediatricians and psychiatrists claim to have identified a malfunction of the whole human person. Now, it's non-controversial to look at a diseased liver and say, a liver shouldn't do that. It's functioning wrong. 
But doctors are now looking at physically healthy children and saying, this entire person shouldn't be doing that. They shouldn't be acting like that. On what basis? Well, the Mayo Clinic explains, it says, in general, a child shouldn't receive a diagnosis of attention deficit disorder unless the core symptoms of ADHD start early in life before the age of 12 and create significant problems at home and at school on an ongoing basis. So according to the medical community, a child's personality becomes diseased at the precise moment that his personality interferes with his schooling. That's odd, isn't it? Because physical diseases aren't judged that way. If you go to the doctor because you think you have appendicitis, he's not going to ask if the appendicitis is causing problems at home or school. Appendicitis is appendicitis, no matter how convenient or inconvenient it may be to those around you. Appendicitis is appendicitis at school, at home, uh, even if you're walking alone you know, down a path in the forest. But ADHD is not ADHD, depending on the context. It's only when it's a nuisance that it becomes ADHD. Now, this diagnostic criteria is rather peculiar, especially because advocates for ADHD drugs will claim that the disorder can be located in the brain. But if it can be located in the brain, why is it diagnosed with a personality survey instead of a brain scan? Has anyone ever stopped to ask that question? Now, it may be true that you can find certain neurological similarities among certain people who have been diagnosed with ADHD. But you can find neurological similarities among people with any, with any kind of shared disposition, such as like enthusiasm or altruism. You can find neurological similarities among optimists and among pessimists. That doesn't prove that these similarities cause optimism or enthusiasm or hyperactivity in children. You can look at the brain scan of a man grieving his dead wife and see his grief reflected in his brain. You could also see his happiness at the birth of a child. You could see the, you know, the experience he has in prayer. I mean, all of that you can, you can see reflected in the brain. But that doesn't prove that the chemical reactions in his brain are causing those things. A guy who's happy, does his brain look like that because he's happy? Or is he happy because his brain looks like that? that that's a chicken or egg question we never seem to bother asking. Now, of course, if you take an entirely materialistic view of the human person, which catastrophically many psychiatrists do, then you must believe that everything he feels, everything a, a, a man thinks, all of his traits, his characteristics, his flaws, his desires, his goals, his joy, his love, his despair, and so on, are all just material phenomena. The mind is an illusion in that case. You're just your brain and nothing more. But if, on the other hand, you factor in the soul and free will and the uniqueness of each human person who's created by a divine force, it becomes clear that the mind exists and it drives the brain much more than the brain drives it. But even if we put all that to the side, and I don't really see how you can put it to the side because this chicken or egg problem lies at the very heart of the entire psychiatry industry and everything we think about mental illness. But even if you do, and even if you accept just for a moment that brain chemistry determines everything about a person, that still wouldn't prove that any particular personality, like the ADHD personality, is disordered. It doesn't prove, in other words, that a person isn't supposed to be that way. It also doesn't prove that the brain itself is causing this disorder, if it is a disorder at all. Now, this brings us back to the thread we started pulling at the start. You know, I've talked before about kids and ADHD, made many of these points. But as mentioned, this ADHD epidemic stretches beyond childhood. Many of the diagnosed kids are adults today, and many adults who were never diagnosed are being diagnosed now, which is no surprise because it's really easy to be diagnosed with ADHD. As I said, they don't diagnose it by looking at your brain. They diagnose it by asking you questions about what you do and how you feel and how you act. But it's especially true now because all of us are distracted and unable to pay attention to anything for very long. All of us. 
This is a phenomenon stretching across the entire civilized world. It's been well documented. Many entire books have been written about it, including one I'm reading right now called Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. Um, in that book, which I recommend, Hari offers extensive documentation of the many measurable ways in which our collective attention spans have dwindled. And there are a lot of, uh, of, of things telling this story. We, you know, we read fewer books, a lot fewer. We retain less information. We feel the need to constantly switch tasks. We're obsessed with what we call multitasking. Though, as the book explains, multitasking is a myth for humans. Multitasking is actually a word that first applied to computers. And now we talk about it like people do it. But really, your brain, you know, you, you can't do two things at once. You can rather switch quickly between tasks, which is what we're, all of us are doing all the time. The modern world is set up this way. And of course, the number one indication of this problem, and also the number one cause, is the phone that we all carry around with us and check hundreds of times a day throughout the day, even if there's no reason to be checking it. We just compulsively pick it up and check it. It's not like we're focusing intently on any of the content that we encounter on the phone either. I mean, the average user spends mere seconds on each web page he visits. When it comes to news articles, many people only read the headline and don't get beyond that. On social media like Twitter, of course, there's an endless scroll of content in little bite-sized chunks that each takes five seconds or less to consume. So we're all distracted. We're all suffering extreme attention loss. Even our memories have been negatively impacted. This, this is an effect that's aptly been dubbed uh, digital dementia. Now, this is all by design, of course. There are very powerful forces at work who are very good at seizing hold of your attention and diverting it from one thing to the next. Your attention is a resource, and they seek to claim it and monetize it, and they have. It's not just the phone. This problem exists, existed before smartphones. It's just that smartphones are such effective vehicles for this kind of distraction, and there are extremely complicated and sophisticated algorithms personalized to each one of us designed to keep us distracted. But even outside of cyberspace, everywhere else you look in the world, you come up against a never-ending barrage of distractions. So the question, in a world where everything is literally designed to distract us, and everyone is distracted all the time, how can the psychiatric industry come along and declare that some of this distractedness is a mental disorder based on what? If I can pay attention to something for 10 seconds, and you can only pay attention for seven, does that mean that you have ADHD? So we establish an attention span baseline, and whoever's below it is automatically mentally ill, even if the baseline itself is dropping, which proves that the attention problem is largely environmental? How does that make sense? Telling people they have a mental illness because they struggle to focus in our society when they're constantly bombarded with lights and sounds and images and texts and noises and messages of all kinds all the time nonstop, it's like telling people in a country with a fast food restaurant in every corner that their obesity is the result of a disease, which come to think of it is exactly what we tell obese people. I'm starting to sense a pattern here, though I can't follow the trail for very long because I get distracted. Pharmaceutical industry would tell me that that's because I'm mentally ill, but I could see a different cause. It's all around me. It's all around you. And that's why ultimately, I think, the pharmaceutical industry must be the one that is, in the end, canceled. If you could pay attention to anything I just said. We'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, 
Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Josh Hawley exposes Supreme Court nominee Ketanji Jackson's radical record at her confirmation hearings. Kamala Harris babbles about the passage of time. And a January 6th protester faces 20 years in prison for trespassing after cops let him into the Capitol. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.